friends, a little information about the episode you are about to hear. Over Christmas, I traveled to England to attend a conference called LIMUD, L-I-M-M-U-D, in Birmingham, England, which is a big, big convocation of a couple thousand Jews, most of them British, but also from all over the English-speaking world and France and Israel and all over, where they come together for uh, close to a week and they have classes and teach-ins and anyone can teach and anyone can learn and they eat food and they sing late at night at the bar and they basically have a summer camp, but over Christmas break. And because it's Christmas break, uh, they tell the hotel staff to take the week off and basically the inmates run the asylum. We did a live show at Lemud this year. Enjoy. Actually, do you want to give the obscenity warning? What's the obscenity warning? It's where you say, um, Just we this. might you say something that involves, we might swear if there are kids in the rooms, get them out. You Got can it. be whatever. Yeah. Right now? Yeah, go ahead. Oh. Yeah. Uh, this is your obscenity warning. If there are children in the room, please give them earmuffs or escort them elsewhere. Oh, that was good. She did something Thank new with you. it. Thanks. Thank you. The earmuffs. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, J. Crew. We are live from Lemood. We're at Lemood in Birmingham, England, uh, which is the most beautiful place in England by it far. <laughs> I've been studying my wife. My wife did a year at Oxford, and so she knows Oxford and the Cotswolds. And so her image of England is entirely, you know, it's entirely out of Edwardian novels. And I've been sending her pictures of the malls. And um, the malls. Yeah, they have a Starbucks here. They do, and it was closed. Yeah. 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 So they're basically they're basically torturing me. Uh, it's also the birth. I think we're in the birthplace of Ozzy Osbourne, right? Ooh. Isn't he a Brummie? Yes. Yeah. So locals are nodding. High culture. Uh, Stephanie Butnick is on a beach somewhere, and Liel is in the beach of his mind. So my guest host today is Sarah Kleigman. I'm the best they could do. No, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. Sarah is a storyteller, writer, and co-founder of Hala Hub, which makes over 50 different flavors of home-delivered halas in the greater Los Angeles area. We do. Uh, she's also the host of the podcast, What's Wrong With You? Tell us, just in, in, oh, I've listened to a million episodes, but sum it up for me. So, uh, What's Wrong With You? Uh, in each episode, I interview one guest, and I ask the same series of four questions. Uh, it's essentially helping successful people tell stories about uh, times they failed and what's wrong with them. Uh, so each episode is four questions. The first one is, what's wrong with you? Uh, the second, I ask them to tell me about a time they failed. Uh, the third, I say, if you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing, what would you say? And the final question is, when does that come up now? When do you think about that moment or that failure or that lesson? Do you want to know when I failed? Yes. My driver's test. Ooh. Yep. 16, I was taken in Chicopee, Massachusetts. Chicopee? Chicopee. Do you know Chicopee, Mass? No. Yeah, I'm from- Chicopee? Chicopee, Mass. That's it's a real- it's, Yeah, you know Chicopee, Mass? On the way to, yeah, you know everything. That's right. You're a Massachusetts boy now. All right. So, um, uh, but yes, I failed my driver's test and there was a big party that night and I was all excited. My parents had other plans. They couldn't drive me to it. I was a junior in high school. There were going to be girls there and I was going to have my, I was going to tool up in the Plymouth Voyager minivan <laughs> and I failed and I, I didn't get to go to the party. Oh. There's no happy ending. It's like, my friends actually called me like, Oppy, where are you? I was like, failed my driver's was test. Was it a clear failure? Like, did you hit something? No, no, no. Or like, I, was it just like little points here and there? It was a, it was a fucking absurd failure. <laughs> it was, there's no other way to say it. It was that I went, having aced everything, I got into the parking lot at the end and forgot to signal before turning into the space oh. at, the, at the Department of Motor Vehicles. That teacher's, Who signals sucked. in parking lots? That's ridiculous. I mean, it's like, come, yeah, Actually, there's like three people raising their hands. You should signal in parking lots. He's you right. You should He's signal in right. parking was, lots. Yeah. But I was down to 11 miles an hour. I was just like gauging the space where I was like, I aced this. I'm partying tonight. I will drink a beer. And 
I it's a good for- thing you didn't get your license. Sounds yep. like you're going to be very I was reckless. Drink beer at yeah. Anyway, so that was my failure. So we're joined by Sarah, and then we have we have no Gentile of the week because we are in a Gentile free zone. <laughs> actually, like, but let me actually. So Lamud is this is this Jewish festival. There are a couple hundred instantiations around the world. We're at, we're at Lamud Prime. We're at the original Lamud Prime, OG. the original Lamud uh, in England. Um, is there a Gentile in the room? No, we have like. <laughs> Don't raise your hand if so. You said, oh, we have oh, someone who sat next to a Gentile There's lunch. a reported Gentile. Right. So we have no Gentile this week, but we have, we've make up for it by having two truly fabulous Jews. We have Anthony Mordechai Tzvi Russell, uh, the singer, and we have Gabby Edlin, the founder of Bloody Good Period, which collects period supplies and toiletries for asylum seekers. So this is going to be amazing. But before we get to the guests, I just have to ask, Sarah, how, is, how has your Lamud been? How has my Lamud been? Um, well, I have two apples, an orange, and a banana in my Lamud bag. Just in case. Just in case. Yes, I, I, wrote, I texted my wife. I said, Sid, I'm in England where even the Jews underfeed you. Yeah, it's- yeah. It, I'm, I have to say, I'm very surprised. No one's told me to wear a sweater. <laughs> it's very hard to get snacks. We... And they're, I mean, we're, so the line for every, I should say, I love Lamoud. We love it. We love it. The line we for food it. is 40 minutes long. And, and then you get to the front and you're in Hogwarts. They're serving you porridge. Yeah. It's very yeah. DIY. It's very do it yeah. yourself, which is, which is the grandeur of Lamoud. Sure. But there is no dessert. And no, I, there are cube shaped ice cream, cube shaped ice creams. I didn't come on that. Where, that's for the best. That's that's. <laughs> What was the thing last night? Was it cornflakes stuck together with chocolate? Is that a British thing? Yes. Oh, the Brits. Oh. <laughs> so it's like you guys have mastered like suet and Yorkshire pudding and toasties and cornflakes stuck together with chocolate. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. I guess it's an authentic experience. It's an authentic experience. And you know, at my household, after the kids go to bed, we take out the Ben and Jerry's or the Haggadahs and we eat proper ice cream with proper sprinkles, or we make brownies. I mean, we eat junk food all the time. Yeah. And here, it's they're yeah. all on a diet. It's very corn. sad junk food. It's sad junk food. Yeah. So next year, look, it's eat, just pack our own M&M's. That's, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Candy. I call my sugar a candy. Cause I am sweet on candy. And candy's sweet on me. Our first Jew of the week is Anthony Mordechai Tzvi Russell. Anthony is a vocalist, composer, and arranger specializing in Yiddish art and folk song, chazanis, and Hasidic nigunim. His work in traditional Ashkenazi musical forms led to a musical exploration of his own roots through the research, arrangement, and performance of 100 years of African-American traditional music. The result of this work is Convergence. And in collaboration with klezmer consort Varetsky Pass, Convergence combines diverse strains of African-American, Ashkenazi, religious, and folk music. It's amazing. The album is coming out in 2018. Yes? That is correct. That is correct. And Anthony lives in highly Jewish Concord, Massachusetts with his husband. Oh, (laughs) Lord. You guys guys doubled the Jewish population of Concord when you moved there. Well, there is a synagogue there. There is a synagogue. But the synagogue probably draws from 10 towns, no? No, there's there's some Jews in Concord and the surrounding towns, and they go to that synagogue. Um, it's called Kerem Shalom. Uh, but my husband is the rabbi at the synagogue in the other town. Ah. Oh. Acton. Ah. So you have the synagogue and the synagogue you don't go to. This is the synagogue <laughs> I do go to. My husband's. <laughs> the one in town I, I don't go to. So my first question, Anthony, before we talk about music and, and Yiddish and history, is um, do you have a word for yourself akin to Rebetzin? I use Rebetzin. 
Dude, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I like the image of my husband coming on from services and I'm wearing like a head wrap and a house coat and I'm like, <laughs> oh, darling, I just made this lovely holiday. Now let's sit down and eat it together. <laughs> Are you going to sing Aisha's Heil? Do- like, does he? Uh, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> We've recently restarted uh, Aisha's Kyle, um, which for those listeners who don't know, is a, it's a, it's not a psalm. It's from, is it? No. It's a, it's a proverb. Yeah. It's a proverb and it's, it's a tribute to, uh, to a woman of valor, to whose price is above rubies. And, um, and um, I read it in English, but, and my wife, before we had kids, we, I, we would like Travis Gales, I would read her. Um, Aisha's Kyle, and she would do this performance art where she would act it out. And so when it says like her arms are strong, she would flex her arms. Oh and it was like, you know, and she the, she keeps her maids in girdles and she would go and cinch the girdle. And then we stopped when the kids were bored. And recently I was like, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. And a couple of the daughters think it's ridiculous. And a couple of them just love it. They just act it out with her. And they've got the, she's she's paying her maids and clothing them warmly in scarlet and cinching the girdles. It's very- That's amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. Kind, of, it's, it's kind of neat and, and performative. So um, anyway, tell us- you know, in in one minute, your journey. You were you were an opera bass, right? Right. I was an opera singer for about fifteen years, and uh, decided to get out of the opera game. And I had heard the singer in the soundtrack for the movie A Serious Man by the name of Cedar Bolarski. And um, when I heard his voice on the soundtrack, I immediately thought it was Paul Robeson. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was listening to this low, deep bass voice singing in Yiddish and thinking it was Paul Robeson and thinking like, well, of course it's Paul Robeson. I mean, he sang in many languages. Of course he sings in Yiddish. This is absolutely wonderful. Black people can do anything. <laughs> um, but when I had decided to leave the opera and I was really looking for a repertoire, I'd remember that I had heard this voice and I started doing um, a little bit of digging and I found out about the singer Sidor Bolarski, who was born at the very end of the 19th century and was an opera singer in Russia, and then immigrated to the United States, to Utah, actually, to get back to the Mormons. Mm. They actually brought him to Brigham Young University to be a part of their uh, vocal department. They're very uh, small city Catholic about whom they'll bring. They brought me. They brought me to talk to the English department. It's really, they'll bring you. I mean, if they haven't yet. They're very into doing that. You You have to sign something promising not to swear. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't be able to so go. then they really aren't going to be bringing me as far as that's concerned. But he was this amazing bass. He traveled literally all over the world performing uh, in Yiddish and also performing uh, some of the early kind of art songs of um, pre-state Israel. Hmm. And he was kind of internationally famous in a particular particular milieu of kind of intelligentsia, artsy Jews. Um, So I meet people all the time who either knew him, saw him perform, or their grandparents knew him and saw him perform. So Neat. And so then what was your, you've written about this for Tablet. You wrote a beautiful essay for for Tablet Magazine three Mm -hmm. years ago, uh, almost four now, I guess, um, about your working your way into the Yiddish repertoire and deciding to get out of more traditional opera. Mm -hmm. Um, But could you tell us, you know, what were some of the early songs or the early performances where you began to feel like you were making Yiddish yours? Hmm. All right. So there's this one song um, called uh, Der Gamorrenigen. And Can you say that again, but like slower? Der Gamorrenigen. Oh, that feels good in your ears. It feels good in the ears. <laughs> what, does it, what does it mean? It means um, the Gamara melody. 
And it's about this um, boy who's in Cheder. He's like in religious school and he's um, chanting Talmud in this mournful voice. And it turns out it's because he misses his family who does not visit him in oh. Cheder. And he feels like a boat without a rudder. That's what the, the song says. And somehow I felt like the song was about me. So I would get up and I would sing it all the time. Mm. And so that was something I felt really connected to. That's really the first song that I, I thought like I made my own. Um, let's see, what else is there? How different are the audiences? Oh my God, so different. I mean, um, you know, people think Yiddish only happens in certain spaces, but I've been very lucky to perform in all different kinds of, of spaces. In the United States, there's a great upsurge of interest in Yiddish amongst um, younger progressive Jews. Um, your Bubby and Zadie are probably pretty interested in Yiddish. So those two groups of people are definitely in my, in my audience usually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this is, this is getting a bit off track here yeah. and, and I don't mean to make you the expert on all things Yiddish, okay. but I we do. have talked at the tablet offices about trying to figure out how to, how to name the, the role that Yiddish is playing in Jewish youth culture today, because mm-hmm. it definitely has a queer audience. Definitely. It definitely has a left-wing audience. Definitely. Um, sometimes it's, it's explicitly or implicitly an anti-Zionist audience. There's the qualities of that. There's yes. qualities of that. Like, do you, um, I don't know, can you put a finer point on it? Like, why the, why the upsurge? What is, it, what is it about Yiddish that's speaking to these disparate groups? I think that people are reclaiming um, things that have been said, written, and created in the Yiddish language as a contemporary phenomenon. The things that you can read in that language um, and experience in that language were written in direct response to contemporary events mm. happening in the, mostly in the 20th century. And yet it's been kind of cast off in the minds of, of listeners into something that's you know deeply 19th century or even older when in many cases it's a very modern language and it deals with modern issues, issues which we're still dealing with Mm -hmm. today, which is why I think um, it feels so current and why it appeals to people who are looking for Jewish voices that are saying different things about about today. Hmm. Hmm. So it's it's more like... uh... I mean, it's it's not it's not like they're trying to uh, bring something like from the past that's like comforting. You're it's like more of like a I mean, modern feel. I think so. I am. Hmm. Um, you're going to get a different answer if you ask. Right. Right. <laughs> sure. I mean, because like uh, you know the guys at Yid Life Crisis. Yeah. I mean, for for me, like when I think about like Yiddish, I it's just like inherently silly. And like positive, mm-hmm. like I, I don't, okay. but but it's a different. No, 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 not like silly and like a. Oh my, no, more like. Like just in like my the, mind, I'm thinking like okay, in, in Yiddish, like we zogt men shady off Yiddish. Like how do you say shady in Yiddish? That's uh, a little shady. <laughs> I just want to say like oh, I. No, it's, it's got like lighter, it's like lighter pop culture implications. It's a language like every language is a language. Like there are serious things that are said in the language. There are lyrical things that are said in the language. There are funny things that are said in the language. I think if you're American, you do have this idea that like, oh, Yiddish is a language for jokes. Like, right. oh, it's I for think saying that's... like really naughty words or right. that kind of thing. Or if I want to curse someone. I mean, you know, the cursing thing is problematic because it means that the Mormons won't invite you to their, uh, their university. <laughs> but other than that, um, it's a language like any other language. What, what role do the native speakers who in the United States are principally Hasidim do they play any role in the, the Yiddish revival and the Yiddish artistic work and production that you and your community are doing? That I don't actually know because I haven't had much uh, contact with um, Hasidic speakers. There are 
a community, there is a community rather, of um, native speakers who aren't Hasidic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't had much contact with that community. I always, um, when I sing, I like to tell the story before, before I sing a song about how when I moved from New York to California, New Yorkers said, why are you moving to California? Nobody there speaks Yiddish. You need to stay here in New York where everybody speaks Yiddish. Um, we have people who don't believe in God who speak Yiddish. We have people who believe in God who speak Yiddish and have no desire to speak Yiddish with you. Hmm. In some cases, that's the Hasidim. So, <laughs> yeah. um, Anthony, tell us about Mordechai Tzvi. Okay, so I picked the name Mordechai Tzvi because, well, I liked I picked Svi because I liked the name Svi. I picked Mordechai because ever since I was a very young child, I had a very strong interest in the Esther narrative. Um, in the Bible, I believe he's like the first person uh, Mordechai is, is, who's called a Jew. Um, the name had a lot of meaning for me, so it was an obvious choice. Um, what happened, though, when I picked that name is I went onto Google to see what other Mordechai Sfis looked like. None of them looked anything like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a very beardy crew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now if you go on Google, I bet if you Google Mordechai Tzvi, you've taken over the Google search. There's a little bit of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You showed them. Uh, when, well, when did you change your name formally? Um, when I converted. I think that was about almost seven years ago. So there's this like uh, belief in Kabbalah about like when you change your name, you're changing your like you're, fate. Yes. I love that idea. How yeah. like sometimes really sick people will change their names mm-hmm. or like just the symbolism of doing that. So like, was it like a very like, I'm sure in, in more than one way, it was like a very powerful thing. But like, I don't know, I, 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 I envy that experience of being like, I'm going to choose this path intentionally and this name and that moment. I guess it'd be sort of an obvious question. Be like, so did your life change after that? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'm sure. It did because it meant that all of a sudden I was this other person with this other name. But I don't know. There was as much. I think I've been Mordechai Tzvi like since I was born. Mm. Amazing. I was just coming into myself. Into your Mordechai Tzvi-ness. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Mordechai Tzvi, would you sing a song for us? Sure. So after about five years of... um, performing music in Yiddish, I started about two months ago to write songs in Yiddish. Um, And this song is a song that I wrote um, a few weeks ago. It's the second song that I ever wrote in Yiddish. It's set to the poetry of um, Celia Dropkin, who is an amazing uh, female poet who was from Belarus, Babroysk, to be Exact. I was actually in Bobroisk uh, a little while ago with um, a program called Yiddishkeit. And we were in front of her gymnasium. We were in front of the place where she went to school when she was a girl. And we decided to have an impromptu poetry reading. And there were all of these extremely erotic, sexy poems in Yiddish that were being read in front of this girl's high school. And I was looking at the high school and I was like, how did that come from that. (laughs) And so her poetry inspired me to start start writing uh, music uh, based on her poetry. This poem um, is called Weisfiedershne, and in it, she compares this man she's in love with to all of these poetic images. She says that he is as white as the snow. Um, He's he's bracing like mountain air. Uh, He makes her head spin. But at the end of the poem, 
she says, but you know, he's just a little boy from the shtetl. His nose is a little too long. He's going to find some woman who he wants to marry. And I'm going to stay here and the grass is going to grow over me. Weiß wie der Schnee auf die Alpen, scharf wie die borgige Luft, gewillt wie verzeihtige Sorgen, mich dein Schönheit ruft. Weil du blendst wie umbarierte Schneeen, verkabst dem Otem wie die zu heuche Luft, und es hebt Modne der Kopf mir und Regen, wie von Brickren verkischuften Duft. Ob du bist nur ein Kleinstädtel, die Kingel, mit Habissele zu lange Nuss. Du wirst nun von deinem Kalle Ringel und auf mir wetton wachsen groß. Oh my Love God. it. Wow. The, is that the British debut of that song? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do we have, we have wow. time for three quick questions for Anthony Morkheit, Svi Russell? Yeah. And would you, could we have the mic? Yeah. Oh, thanks, Sarah. This gentle person here. Um, yeah, so I was wondering, um, uh, why did you choose the name Svi? I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, there's a practice where names are attached to specific uh, verses in the Bible. And I was really fond of the verse that was attached to Svi um, because it was one that I had known ever since I was a child. Unfortunately, I can't seem to remember it. <laughs> um, but I think that's why I put together Mordechai Svi. The funny thing is that Peter Pan. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a character? It's a bit of a stumper. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Smee. oh, that's me. Oh, but I like Smee. I like the Smee. resonance. Oh, I was right. like, I was like, do 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 children have to clap in order for my name to happen? Like, children, do you want Mordecai Svi to sing? Everyone, clap. Okay, clap. Okay. Like, next no. question. Right. It's a good question, though. Next question. We got that gentleman back there, and then we'll get someone on this side because we don't want to be side chauvinist. Hello. <laughs> Quick question: Do you sing Chazanot? Uh, and if so, would you give us a quick one? Oh goodness. Uh, okay, so um, I have sung Chazanot, but um, I don't because to me the absolute sound of Chazanot is is somebody with a high voice. And I, as you can hear, I do not have a high voice when I am singing. Um, so, uh, I mean, occasionally I, I've sung, I've sung some chazanas. I do sing Hasidic nagonim. They do share some of the same. I can give you a little example of sure. that. Okay. Oh, okay. So this will be um, audience participatory. All right. So um, <clears throat> let me think. Let me think. Yeah. 
have to get I have to go through like my my Nagunam library in my head. It's like I'm on a phone and I'm going like this. Okay. Um Okay, can give me can everyone go hum hum Anthony Mordecai Tzvi Russell, if people want to find more of your work, where would you send them? I have a website, um, Anthony Russell Base, that's B-A-S-S, anthonyrusselbase.com. Um, there's also Google. I'll tell you, there's not a whole lot of guys in the black Yiddish game, so I'm easy to find. <laughs> if you know how to use Google, you know how to find me. Um, there it is. Amazing. Thank you for being our Jew of the Week. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. 
And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Playing the role of Gentile of the Week is our second Jew of the Week, Gabby Edlin. Gabby is the founder of Bloody Good Period, which collects period supplies and toiletries for asylum seekers. She grew up outside Manchester, where she was active in Habonim Drawer as a teenager. She now lives in London. Most important, she's one of four daughters, like my daughters, who are one of four daughters. Apparently, they turn out well. Gabby, get close to your microphone. Yeah, we're okay. Yeah, Yeah. you don't know how to get close to a microphone. Sorry. There we go. Uh, Gabby, thank you for being our second Jew of the Week. Thanks for having me. Yeah. (laughs) You need need a sound check from her? Is that better? All right. Like this. There you go. Okay, right. There we go. So um, (laughs) before, we have a lot of important questions for you. I want to start. As an American, this is something, and I think Americans here will agree with me, we never really understand how to use bloody. Because I've been told that it's mm. much worse in England than it is in America. Mm. It's I don't think like, they can pull it off. What, like, like it's a swear word? It's a, that it's a swear word. Like, for example, like, there are certain words that are worse in America. Like, you guys use the C word more than we do. I love the C word. The Me C too. word's also really bad in America. I love how even our, like, profanity warning does not cover the C word. Right. Oh, okay. That's so, how scared okay. right. we are. But, like, how does one use, like, is, how bad is, is bloody? I mean, I wasn't allowed to say it when I was little. Oh, re- like, legitimately? I just no. thought it was like an emphasis word. No. Oh, no, no. You wouldn't say. You wouldn't. Can I just, I can't quite work out where I should sit so you can hear me. Is that, is it, that okay? The principle is closer. Click, right. Okay. There we go. Then I'll lean back a bit. <laughs> yeah, there, now you're fine. There you're fine. I keep getting distracted because my mum's got a quelling face on. Yeah. And I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it since my back high up. <laughs> I just keep so, looking at her. Okay. What's thanks. a bat chayel? Bat mitzvah. Oh, you say bat chayel here? Uh, Like some communities say bat chayel. I have never heard. Has no one else heard? Is it orthodox? But but I know know orthodox people. Like I've been the Jewish media. I'm in the worldwide conspiracy. 23 years in the game since college. Never heard bat chayel. Really? Britishism. Is it British? I said the Asia chayel. You said the Asian Chayel at your Bat Chayel. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so bloody, <laughs> like, can you say, like, when you name an organization Bloody Good Period, that can be printed? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody, somebody came up to me at a talk that I did, and she just, she just came up to me afterwards and she said, look, I just, could you change the name? Hmm. And, I was, and I was like, well, what do you mean? I thought she was going to say, like, can you take the word period off, which is what I talked about earlier on, because people don't like the word period. But um, she was like, I just think there's a lot of porn in this world and the children are really suffering and it doesn't help for them to hear the word bloody. And I was just like, uh, you're, you're all right, babes. Um, no, thanks. Um, but I, d- I don't know if it's bad. I think it's... I mean, I did it on purpose. I was going to say, that's sort of intentional. Like, you want it to be, like... Yeah, but also, like, bloody good was supposed... Like, bloody good... I didn't say it really to be rude, but, like, when you say something's bloody good here, it's like, that's, like, the ultimate, like, English... That's, like, the best. That's the best, yeah. That's the best. So what does the organization do? So, well, we do a lot of things. But mainly, we get uh, donations of pads and um, menstrual supplies and toiletries, and we give them to asylum seekers and refugees at drop-in centers. That's amazing. Um, but we also do a lot of like period re-education. So we basically, we talk about periods all the time through social media and whatever I'm doing, uh, we'd make a lot, we've got a lot of, we've got like a creative network that makes graphics that are all about periods. 
You guys have um, comedy shows? I feel like I saw like some sort of like event or like live show we've on got Facebook. Comedy show. Sold yeah, out 24 what? hours. So awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do a lot of comedy. I mean, my my whole thing is that I just really believe that comedy is like the way to change the world. And it's really. completely wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. No, really. I love that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, it, you know, it's a big part of being Jewish as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's... That that's basically what we do, yeah. Um, and I mean, it's still like it's only a year old. Um, I'm still working full time around it, oh, yeah. so um, it's not sort of established as to exactly what it's going to be. But I think we're going to be a charity, um, and I hope we'll just do lots of like different types of education. Well, because there's been like a really big boom. I mean, especially in the states and like the women's wellness education mm. world and getting people to stop being afraid of the word vagina. I love the word vagina. Thank you. <laughs> Same. I said blood clots as well in my talk. Ooh, before. blood clot. That's I have to thing. say in an English accent, vagina sounds fabulous. Vagina. I mean, it's, a <laughs> it's a South Manchester Jewish accent though, <laughs> so it's like vagina. No. <laughs> that was good. The crowd liked that one, you guys. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's like so important. I love like the branding of what you do. So I, yeah. I work for, uh, with a, a Jewish women's wellness organization called At The Well. Yeah. And we're like, we do like spirituality stuff. We do science stuff. But just like having those conversations loud and publicly about, yeah. can you say vagina? Vagina. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're great. Having those uh, loud and publicly, I think is so important. And the, the work you're doing, uh, because the, the menstruation, menstrual product world is also blowing up. Like you yeah. have like Diva Cups, you have things. Are you working with those brands too? We're not working actively with them. Um, there's a couple of brands, like so Frida, which is, um, they're a sustainable, eco-friendly uh, pads and tampons company. We're working with them. I bet those are terribly uncomfortable. I've no, got to be honest, because no, no. if, if eco-friendly toilet paper is any indication, <laughs> I don't want my wife or any of my daughters anywhere near an eco-friendly pad. So they're the pad. first ones that are like actual, properly good. Like, they don't splinter. They don't splinter. Right. They don't scratch. Oh, they don't rub. I'm just going to be honest. I don't want eco-friendly. Like what you I've want I've never for... had a splintering pad, I have to say. <laughs> I don't know what you've been using, but... Uh... <laughs> What is a menstrual cup? A menstrual cup Ooh, looks question. like, um, so it looks like a wine glass. Or like a shot glass, stem. depending. Yeah, or it could be like a shot glass if it doesn't have a stem. But it's about this big, and it basically sits inside your vagina, and um, it collects the blood, and you just take it out, pour it into the toilet, give it a wash, and put it back in. And there's tons of different, there's some that are like disposable, there's this, this uh, brand called Flex, which basically, you know those like Livestrong bracelets that are like rubber? Yes, if you just imagine like silicone. a little baggie on one side of that. Sort of like a like a windsock, if you will, but for your for your. Oh, so it's more of it for your vagina. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're, so flex is like disposable, and you're supposedly oh, you're supposed to be able to have mean. sex with it in. Yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, yeah no, and then there's obviously Diva Cup, yeah. and there's so Moon many. Cup. Obviously, it's really Moon Cup, hit. really right now. <laughs> so we run Cupperware parties. Cupper Cupperware parties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> That is fantastic. So yeah, so it's like a cross between like a Tupperware party of and like we, an Ann Summers party. I, Do you know what Ann Summers is in America? A what? Like Ann Summers. Ann Summers. No. Is it I makeup? It's, it's direct selling. Oh, it's, is it like a sex toy thing? Sex toy yeah. party. It's a sex toy party? <laughs> um, and... Did you just say your mother has those parties? Is that what no! you said? Her mom's I thought here. you just said that. I thought no. I... Oh, now her mom's... That? Oh, she's getting red. She said oh, so. No. She was saying something about my mom in there and I thought... I mean, we've had Batsheva Barkas on our show who basically, who brought us sex toys as our present. When what? We were- I, I, cannot, I cannot go any further with this conversation. I want to <laughs> I want to guest host that show. Could you tell us something about the cultural competency you need working with with refugees from different parts of the world, talking to them about their periods, talking to them about these products? Do you have to deal with any 
I mean, what are the cultural hurdles you have to overcome, if any? I think the biggest cultural hurdle is people telling you there's cultural hurdles and people telling you. <laughs> I'm not telling you that no, I was no, asking. Not you, not you, not you, not you. <laughs> not me. So, well, one thing that, that we were told, or I was told when we first started getting the products out in the drop-in centers, it was like, keep them under the table. These women are very shy about their periods. They don't want everybody in the room knowing. And just something in it, it just didn't sit right with me. And I was just like, I'm not putting this under the table. Like, I'm not going to just keep these under here so that no one... Speak. I mean, half the women there don't speak English. So you know what... You, you, you can see on the front of a pack, like, what pad you want. Um, but if I had to sort of, yeah, someone at the back's doing the wings, because like, wings, that's, that's right. like oh, otherwise are we going to have to like go like flap our arms like to look like wings? I once came home from the supermarket with the unwinged pads. Don't get mm. the unwinged, no was, one wants the unwinged pads. No. Nobody wants the unwinged pads. I no. was Nobody sent right them. back. Yeah. 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 Um, so I was just like, no, we're going to put them all on the table. <laughs> well, there's um, a big problem with, with period shaming right. globally. I mean, but even now, I mean, you look at like, oh, you have a little tampon case. It's like black and yeah. cute because no one can know that you bleed yeah. out of your... But sorry, vagina. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, but the, I think the 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 fighting that that period shaming that ultimately like there's some women, uh, young girls who don't know anything about their period until oh my gosh, all of a sudden they look in their underwear and oh my god, are we dying? Because people are blue. afraid to talk about it. Yeah, and it's not blue like on the advert. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was the most disappointing thing. Mm, yeah. Purple. I would have liked a purple, purple period. Be lovely. But- um, yeah, I think a lot of people try and blame like cultural differences on basically what you're saying is you don't want to talk about periods. Uh-huh. Um, so the partner that I work with when we do couple wear parties, she goes into Malawi and Kenya and she said that all of the men there were like, no, 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 no. These women don't want this. They don't, they don't want this. She's converted thousands of women to menstrual cups. Like they want it. And the women that we work with that if you put the pads on the table, they'll take the pads on the table and they will talk to you about their periods. Were these not being provided in sufficient numbers at refugee centers or through social it's, workers? Or? I mean, some places would have a few, but it just wasn't one of the things that was thought of as like, this is vital. Right. We have food, we have water, we have clothes, we have pads. Um, and I think it's because we place the male as the default person is that we think of anything female as extra basically. And it's, Oh, the women's stuff as well. And actually it's, it's people, people. So they were giving this. them like sports betting apps and cigarettes exactly. and flasks and exactly. stuff, but not beer, right. loads of beer. Only loads men of drink beer, beer. Right. Um, yeah. How, how did you develop this interest? Were you some, when you were 15, like around the time, shortly after your, your base Kyle, would they, would, would people have said, <laughs> base. Base Kyle, would people have said like, Gabby's going to go into menstrual education or, I mean, with I don't know. Mom? Yeah, mom. <laughs> She's covering her face and laughing. I love it. Uh, you are a shade of red I've never uh, seen. Right. It's astonishing. Oh, wow, sorry, you blush. mom. I shouldn't have said you were here. Menopause. That's another thing we need we're to talk about, about more. Yeah, menopause. Menopause. Yeah. But, but answer my gonna, question. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but answer my question. What was the where did the where did the where did the interest oh, come from? How did it been, develop? So I've always been a feminist. I think I didn't probably call myself a feminist for a good few years, but I was always like a bit of a pain, and I've always like very much like. I mean, I come from a family of girls. I've been to an all girls school since I was four. It's always been like very much on my radar. But I went into I went into museum education um, for some mm. reason, and that was like the anti-feminist work and that is why I actually pushed me the other way and I was like right I need to do something more feminist I don't I think menstrual education menstrual charity I think it, it could have been anything but that just pissed me off more than anything that I was just like this is ridiculous it is 
2016 at the time we're still not talking about this properly so I was always going to do something to do with women and something that people didn't want to talk about because that's much more fun if yeah yeah. (laughs) yes so you might still be figuring this out because your organization is young but tell me like what does success look like in the next like couple years like what's the sort of dream so I would really like to no longer rely on any sort of donations or purchases from the big companies. Um, I want to be able to, um, there's so many amazing smaller companies out there like Frida, Flow and Callaly and Yoni and all of these that basically make these like amazing products like that are not like these splintery old fashioned like eco typical eco products. They're like really good luxury items and they're like run by women they're run by often by like by mums who are you know finding something else to do because they've been ejected from the workplace or whatever um and being able to rely completely on these kind of products um would be like a huge success mm. and also um i mean we don't want to become like a distribution company it's not going to be like we get pads then they go out like we use pads and periods to talk to women and to like empower women. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, through having this period table um, at the drop-in that I volunteer at, like I've made great friends with some of the women and that's what I want to continue. And they're such smart women, but because they are in this situation, they don't get the same like privileges that the rest of us had. So like, hopefully just like, just enabling them. They don't need help. They just need like that extra step that, you know, maybe they would have got in their own country. That's what periods can do, I think. That's success to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amazing answer. Gabby Edlin, thank you for being our second Jew of the Week. Mazel tovs of the week. Sarah Klegman, do you have a mazel tov for us? Uh, I have a, a Limud-related mazel tov, uh, which is... A mazel tov? A mazel tov. A limud tov. No, yeah. your way was better, for Thank sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, to uh, Shoshana Bloom and Hannah Brady. Uh, Hannah is uh, heading up a bunch of the programming here at Limud, and they did an awesome, awesome panel on curly hair. Mm. Yes. Yes, we're getting thumbs up and, and raucous applause from the audience right now. Uh, and they're just like brilliant, fantastic women. So it was lovely to see that and see them be supported. Panel on curly hair. Yeah. Um, Gabby, while we have you here, do you have, would you like to offer a mazel tov to somebody or something? It's a bit schmaltzy, but um, my sister's getting married in August. So mazel tov, Carmen and Max. Carmen and Max. All right, Carmen and Max. Um, Wish my mom mazel tov as well then. <laughs> Anthony, do you have a mazel tov you'd like to offer? All right, here, come on. Uh, Sarah, I'll give you the mic. Thanks. I'd like to offer a mazel tov to um, Rachel Weston, who is an amazing, curly, red-haired Yiddish singer who lives in London, who put me up for two days um, while I was performing at the JW3 Center. Oh, it's like it's like Yid Airbnb. It's like... Um, do we have maybe three quick mazel tovs from the audience? Anyone want to give a mazel tov? Birthdays, engagements, bar mitzvahs, bat chayals, um, you know, uh, yes, in the Michigan shirt. Yes. 
I'd like to give a mazel tov. To Wait, tell, tell us your name and where you're from. First. Sure, I'm Kevin Lieberman from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, you've written to us. I have a writer. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'd like to give a mazel tov to my friend Katie Forsyth, who moved to Idaho and gave me a shout out on Unorthodox, and I'd like to throw oh. it back at her. <laughs> All right, shout back at you. All right. Oh, Graham, Graham, the tech guru has a mazel tov. So uh, it's a privilege to record the po podcast. And I just want to give a muzzle tov to the Lamud team who put on the conference. So a big muzzle tov to everyone. Yeah. Everything they've done. All right. This gentleman here is a muzzle tov quickly. We're running out. Want to get everyone out. Muzzle tov to Tanya Buff, who's in Thailand. All right. And we have time for one more. Is there one more? One more muzzle tov? Mm -hmm. I was doing the Nagoon melody, but I'm tone deaf. We have one in the back. <laughs> My tone is so bad, I'll throw everyone else off. Uh, my name's Julie Herman. I'd just like to say muzzles off to my daughter, Jess, and her friend, Chez. They're in Calais. She went in the bus she lives in, full of warm clothes. So there are many, many thousands of refugees, at least 2,000 still stuck there, in, and in a very bad way. And they're entertaining them with music and circus. And oh, mazel tov. All right. And, and I have a mazel tov. I have two mazel tovs. I want to give a mazel tov to Marianne Tatum. She told us on our Facebook page that her dachshund Marmite is having his bark mitzvah. Uh, we actually missed the bark mitzvah because we had pre-recorded the nose job episode. So the bark mitzvah was December 23rd. Uh, Marmite is now a man, I guess, <laughs> has been promoted from puppy to full dog. Uh, and we'd like to offer the mazel tov. I also want to give a mazel tov to my very non-Jewish friend, but, but Jew in his soul, Zachary Hastings Hooper. He turned 44 on Christmas Day, so a mazel tov. And he's a fan of the show. Uh, Zachary Hastings Hooper and I were the two young preppies rocking the popped collar on the polo shirt, uh, the Lacoste, and, uh, you know, the, the Ralph Lauren cords back in the, in the 80s when that got you shoved in lockers and, you know, swirled in, in uh, toilets. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Our guest host today was Sarah Klegman, who can be found at sarahklegman.com. And she's also the founder of Hala Hub, which can be found on the web. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin with help from Julia Frakes. We're grateful to Sarah Pinch for her help today. And Graham, the tech guru, for all of your tech needs in Birmingham, England. Um, <laughs> Our artwork is by the Australian Jewess Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levins, and our music is by Golem, online at Golem Rocks. But additional music today, just, you know, spontaneously from Anthony Mordechai Tzvi Russell. Rabbinic supervision is by my co-panelist yesterday, Rabbi Ellen Flax. This week we recorded at Lemood in sunny, beautiful, scenic Birmingham, England. Learn more at Lemood.org, L-I-M-M-U-D.org. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. Thank you. Thank you.